Father, we thank you so much for your word in our hands this afternoon. Lord, thank you that you speak to us by it. And Lord, we pray this afternoon that you'd help us to listen, um, convince us, convict us of the truth of the Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, that we might joyfully enjoy access that we have by him. Amen. Um, A broken relationship is characterised by conflict and separation. You see that at every level. Think of the young friends playing together in nursery. They fall out over who's playing with the digger and they argue and they argue until they go their separate ways and they have to spend their separate... They have to go their separate ways. There's conflict and then there's separation. Or the dating couple who they've got to some serious issue. They can't look anywhere else. They, there's conflict. They talk about it, they talk about it and then there's separation. Or the colleagues who always argue and so they avoid being in the same teams or projects together. There's conflict and there's separation. And we all experience that in little ways in relationships. When you've got an unresolved disagreement with someone that you love and it causes that degree of separation, it's hard to spend time with them, it's hard to talk about something. But you might know the pain of a significant broken relationship where you've done something to create, cause conflict with someone that you love and that's a horrible feeling of wanting to be sorted but that feeling of separation it prevents you from getting close to some kind of resolution and so the broken relationship is defined by conflict and separation. Maybe you'll know that feeling with God. You know when something you've done displeases him. And so there's conflict. And quickly there's some degree of separation. Maybe you feel guilty or you feel ashamed. You run away, you hide, you cover up. You feel like you have to wait it out with God. You feel like you have to sort yourself out before God. Before you could even think about going back to address him again. Well, the question in our passage this afternoon is, do these feelings change if you're a Christian? Is that the experience of the Christian? (laughs) In chapters 3 and 4 that we looked at now a couple of weeks ago, Paul has described to us the doctrine of justification. And predominantly he's done so with a judicial lens. That means Paul's primary focus has been on God's justice and how the gospel brings a people who are unrighteous into a position, a status of righteousness before him. But here... In chapter 5, Paul describes how that's actually outplayed in the context of a relationship with God. Our broken relationship with God was once defined by conflict and separation. 
Conflict as our rejection of him caused that separation. But now, because of his justifying work in the Lord Jesus, Paul wants to tell us in this chapter what the privileges are of our actual experience for those who belong to Jesus. So have a look down at the passage. In verse 1, the therefore is just like saying, because of this. He's pointing back to chapters 3 and 4. Paul's saying, because of the truth that we've talked about in the last two chapters, I'm going to describe to you, Paul says, the privilege we have as Christians. Paul wants to explain, help us, get grasp what it means, justification in action, actually what it means for our relational experience with God. Because maybe at times you've sat through the last couple of chapters, you've read through, you've got it, and you've thought, well, I think I get it logically, but what does that actually feel like? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my relationship with God? Because justification is a judicial word. It's a declaration. It's static. It most helpfully tells us what we are. But that's where this chapter is brilliant. Chapter 5 It's so helpful because it tells us what we have. It tells us what we have today, right now, tomorrow, when we feel our worst this week. It tells us what we have and so what we can do about it. So first, in the first two verses, we most clearly see two things we have if we've been justified. First, We have peace with God. Have a look down at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is the first implication for our relationship with God. Here's how one writer puts it that I read this week. If justification is the antidote to condemnation and subjection to the wrath of God, whereby we are accepted by God as righteous, well then, peace with God is the antidote to our alienation or separation from God, whereby we experience the favour of God in light of his countenance or approval. You see, peace is the antidote to alienation or separation. God is not just a perfect and righteous judge that upholds justice at every level, but he's relational. And so sin, it doesn't just deserve punishment, but it creates, the Bible says, enmity. It creates separation. It creates conflict between us and God between us and our creator and so God's work in justification it doesn't just declare someone righteous but it brings about a repaired relationship and so peace it doesn't just 
describe that feeling of calm and tranquility that you get every now and again, maybe when the children leave, or on holiday, or whenever it is, that feeling. It doesn't just describe that. It's first the status of peace flowing from a repaired relationship with God. Reconciliation, it's the bringing back together. It's the repair of the relationship. There's no longer any conflict That's first an objective truth for the person that trusts in Jesus. And so the experience of feeling settled, feeling calm, feeling at peace flows from that. I was talking to a friend the other day and he said how it's pretty consuming, wondering whether he's in a good place with other people. And it can be so easy to be all consumed with worry about what people think of you. Whether people like you. Whether people are upset with you. Whether people agree with you. Whether people are on your side. And that can quickly cause havoc with the way that you think. You can overread people's body language. You can pick up on tiny little things, jump to wrong conclusions. It leaves you in a state of unrest. Actually, it can be pretty crippling. And that's just thinking about people. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. What does he think about you? The amazing truth is that our position before God is that if you trust in Jesus right now, you have peace with him. Your relationship with him is not defined by conflict. But through the Lord Jesus, you have peace with God. When you wake up and you feel rubbish about yourself, or when you look around and you feel insignificant compared to other people, when you make mistakes, when you have a bad day, when you're doing brilliantly, you feel like you're having a great day. Whenever you ask yourself the question, Am I in a good place with God? You can answer through faith in Jesus, I have peace. My relationship with him is not defined by conflict, but by peace. If a broken relationship is defined, characterised by conflict and separation, the first relational implication of justification that Paul gives us here is that conflict has been turned to peace. Second, we've gained access. Read with me from verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We've gained access into this grace. In verse 2 there, this grace in which we now stand, it's referring back to what was already described. The grace is the repaired relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. Because that relationship has been fully repaired, and in Christ we have gained access, we can approach him with confidence. Think of the teenager who's been told off by their parent for something they've done. The teenager has done something to cause 
conflict. And so inevitably there's some degree of separation. It might be that they're sent to their room for a time out, a long time out for a teenager. It might be that there's just that natural avoidance of each other. But when the teenager recognises that they need to repair the relationship to resolve the conflict, sometimes that's pretty difficult. Because the teenager recognises that they've made it. Sometimes the only thing stopping them repairing is the, the feeling of separation that's come about. They don't know what to do. They, they can't go and approach to repair. There's no access to a solution. Look, if the problem with our relationship with God was the conflict created by our rebellion and the result was separation, well, look, here is the relational solution. No longer is the relationship defined by separation, but through Jesus, we have gained access. If you trust in Jesus, this is your privilege. Your privilege today, this week, when you feel your worst. You have free access to God. Because Jesus is your mediator. In a completely repaired relationship, we can approach God with confidence because we stand justified. See, you know the the danger of the experience of being a Christian some point in the week where you're not feeling great you know you've done something that dishonors God you feel pretty rubbish about yourself there's a temptation to think that your relationship is still kind of defined by conflict ah I said that horrible thing God will be so disappointed with me it's still a relationship of conflict. Or you might say, ah, I can't believe I did that again. God will be so disappointed with me. It's conflict. I can't come to him. And when we think like that, what do we do? We hide. We wait. We cover up. We try and make ourselves right because we're in danger of thinking we don't now have access into this grace in which we now stand. We think we can't come straight to God and enjoy peace with him. But if we think like that, we've misunderstood. We have free access to a relationship defined by peace only because of what Jesus has done. At any moment of any day, Whatever we've done, if we truly trust in Jesus, we can come near to God without guilt because of his work in gaining us free access. Read with me these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This week, have you felt guilty? Have you felt dirty? Ashamed? Have you felt embarrassed? Insignificant? Have you felt unworthy? Have you felt like you don't quite know what to do? In that very moment, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Be honest. Be real. Confess sin. Acknowledge God, but know this. Know this for sure. If you trust in Jesus, you have gained access to a relationship with God defined by peace. You don't need to sulk. You don't need to hide. You don't need to run away. You don't need to try and make it up to God. You don't need to cover up. You don't need to pretend. You can draw near. Look, maybe you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus. And you felt like that at times this week. The truth of this passage is that anyone who turns to Jesus and trusts in him can have this repaired relationship, can enjoy peace with God. If we trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have gained access. And Paul goes on to describe two things that we do. We become hope-filled realists. Read with me from verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. See, Paul has at the same time his focus on two things. Paul's dual focus, the hope of the future and the experience of the present sufferings. The hope of the future, the hope of the glory of God. It simply describes when Jesus returns, God's glory will be fully revealed. We can have absolute confidence in the sure and certain hope. We saw that at Easter, that one day we will be there. We will both see God's glory in all its fullness and we'll be able to perfectly bring him glory as well. We'll experience that perfectly restored relationship in all its fullness. But we don't just glory in that hope, we even glory in the present. Paul was a realist. He wasn't so looking forward to the future, so absorbed in what was going to come that he was unable to open his eyes to see what was going on. He suffered. Sometimes being that hope-filled, so focused on the future, it can be a bit shameful when, when it doesn't seem to match. Look at verse 5. Paul's saying, if hope is detached from reality, then it's shameful. Hope is shameful when it's disconnected from your present reality. Just remember watching X Factor, X Factor auditions, probably 10 years ago on the telly on a Saturday night. You just remember there were, some of them were so cringe, weren't they? And someone comes onto the screen and you're not quite sure where it's going to go. You can't work out. And they say, oh, I've always had the dream of becoming a professional singer. 
and then they start to sing and it is so shamefully embarrassing because their experience of the present is so far from that hope. It's completely disconnected from reality. Or maybe you're the fan of a lower league football team or mid-table football team and your hope is to win the league this year. And it's just pretty shameful, isn't it? It's pretty embarrassing because it's so disconnected from the present reality, it just doesn't make sense. Here's the challenge you might level of the Christian faith. Here's the challenge you might level of Christians. Look, it's just a bit embarrassing. Hoping in a day where you'll be with God, be able to bring him glory, you'll be like Jesus, you'll see his glory... But look at you now. It's just a bit shameful. Because look, it's so disconnected from what you're like. Maybe you look at your life and you're tempted to feel shame. I'm really struggling to honour Jesus. It feels like every day is a battle to love. Even the people closest to me. I don't really care for people in need. I don't really want to tell people about Jesus. Every day, it feels like a battle. God's glory in heaven, it feels like a distant hope. But look, Paul, he's a hope-filled realist. Suffering happens, it's a normal experience of the Christian life. And Paul here, he's talking specifically about the kind of suffering that comes from choosing to honour Jesus. Look at verse 3. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We can only do this with the Holy Spirit within us when we're in Christ. But when you make the tough decision, whenever you make the difficult decision to face suffering and keep going, you persevere, it produces in you the character that says, my chief end is to bring God glory that's what I want to do I want to enjoy him I want to honor the Lord Jesus in every situation and when that is your character where will you be most naturally looking will you be fixed on that sure and certain hope where one day you'll see him in all his glory and you see what happens when you're filled with that hope the tough decision to keep battling that sin or to speak out against something that is wrong or whatever it is, it becomes easier to do. It builds in you perseverance. And so you prioritise character. And as you do, you hope in the future and so end up with this circle. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, And in hope, you go on experiencing suffering. You're able to keep going. Please try again in a moment. Thanks, Siri. (laughs) And so, you see, as a Christian, there's nothing shameful about the hope of the future. Because it's not completely removed from our present reality. It's not. You can be a a hope-filled realist. Because if we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes us to be more like him in character, preparing us for our future reality. 
Here's the final thing Paul says we'll do once we've been justified. Since we've been justified, we boast in Christ alone. Just look at verse 8 for a second. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul, he's simply reminding us what he said in the last few chapters. While we were powerless sinners, God gave us Jesus. Jesus died for you. There's a young boy who saw his dad's piano in the corner of the room. And at a very young age, he decided he was desperate to be a concert pianist. And so his dad began to teach him the piano in the evenings after school and work. It's pretty slow progress. The boy didn't seem to pick it up that well. But the day came round for his first piano concert, age 10. Tiny old village hall with about 20 people. Safe to say it was a disaster. He fumbled over quite a few notes. He made some mistakes. Actually, overwhelmed by the situation, he burst into tears and ran away from the piano. Left it for the next person to play. Got into the car with his dad. His dad drove him home, gave him a bag of Maltesers, put his arm around him and said, It's okay, son. And he asked the son, Do you really want to be a pianist? And the son said, Yes, but I don't think I can. And the dad said, Don't worry, son, I'll get you there. The next day, the dad handed in his notice at work and he went all in on supporting his son to play the piano. Hours of practice, hours of work came and went. Time passed and the dad, without fail, every time would pick his son up with a bag of Maltesers and drive away from every failed concert. Years later, in front of 5,000 people at the Albert Hall, the son delivered the most stunning piano concerto and was greeted with rapturous applause. And he got up and he walked away and he was met by loads and loads of people saying how brilliant he was, how well he'd done. People piling on high praise how outstanding he was at playing the piano. And he snuck away from them, snuck out the back door, and he sat next to his dad in the car. His dad handed him the bag of Maltesers, and the son said, you did it, Dad. You did it. See, when, we're, when we offer absolutely nothing, God makes a way to repair our broken relationship. What do we have to boast in? We boast in God through Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. That's what verse 11 says. We boast in God through Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. Nothing of our own work, only God's work through the Lord Jesus to repair that broken relationship, that we can now come before him with confidence because we have peace and we have access, but only because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come before you now, 
confident. We can come before you now and talk to you. We can come before you when we feel our worst. Because we have access because of the Lord Jesus. Please would you help us to cling to your work in giving the Lord Jesus to die in our place. Please would you help us to remember that this week when we feel great and when we feel weak. Amen. Well, we're going to sing. um, Speaks of how we can boldly approach because of what the Lord Jesus has done. So let's sing together.